If you're a fan of classic movies or just like to hear people gabbing about them, then maybe you should listen to the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts brought to you by the producers of Inglorious Trexperts. Uh, this is not Bill Shatner, but if you like the 430 movie, you'll love Inglorious Trexperts, available wherever you listen to the 430 movie. You might even find out what God needs with a starship. It's the podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. If you're a Star Wars fan, check out the Electric Surge Network's new podcast, The Rebel and the Rogue, in which two diehard Star Wars fans discuss a galaxy far, far away with special guests every week. We would be honored if you would join us. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited because we're going to be talking about Toby Hooper's remake of White Zombie. Uh, which is a classic Bela Lugosi movie from the 30s. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, here to discuss it with us is the man who wrote this script that never got made, Mr. Jared Rivett. Hello. Uh, Jared is the screenwriter of the motion picture Jackals. He was also the only staff writer, as in there was just one, right. <laughs> on Nickelodeon's reboot, relaunch, what would you call it, of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's definitely a reboot. Uh I uh, so they just announced it uh, last week officially. It was on this list of things that Nickelodeon was kind of in the process. It's like, oh, we're gonna do all these old shows. We're gonna do new versions of all these old shows. And it was like, okay, it was just kind of out there. So we were like, are we announced? Is it? Are we not announced? Is this official or not? And then they had an official official announcement last week. So it's, I will call it uh, kind of a reboot, a, a modern reboot. And at the time of this recording, it is currently being shot. It's in the process in- of being filmed as we speak in in Canada, of course, because that's the ancestral home of all things. Yeah. Are you afraid of the dark? Um, and when is it going to air? October. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Jared also does, I guess you would call it a podcast. You want to explain what Earbud is? I'm Earbud, sure you can do yeah, it better Earbud than I theater. can. Sure. Earbud Theater. Thank you for uh, plugging all this stuff. This is great. <laughs> uh, Earbud Theater is a audio drama podcast. It's not so much a podcast like we're doing now. It is a fully produced, it's a, it's a anthology series that is fully produced audio dramas. So we do focus primarily on horror and sci-fi and fantasy and that kind of stuff and josh actually co-starred in my last most recent episode which that was something called was tales from the dead of night which was kind of a creep show-esque uh antho- it was an anthology within an anthology, anthology yeah <laughs> multiple segments and uh you were one of the three stars of knife flip I liked that one a lot my, yeah it's a good one, it's a good one. so yeah so it's basically uh scary radio shows for the internet uh, how did you get involved in that one specifically? I was hot shit for about 10 seconds in 2005, 2006 because of a script that I had written, a feature script I had written called Killers of the Dead, which was also an unproduced script hey. uh, that Marcus <laughs> Nisfell was going to direct. Um, oh, and um, 
it got me a lot of meetings. It got me around town in the mid-2000s, and it got me a meeting at uh, Disney. Disney, you might remember, in the mid to late 2000s, had a horror division. Uh, it was the. I don't remember. It was, <laughs> it was like a reboot of the um, Hollywood Pictures label, and so they they managed to eke out exactly two horror movies in their time, which was uh, Stay Alive with Frankie the Muniz. Video wait the video game one. Right? Yes. Yeah. And Primeval. I did not oh, realize alligator Disney yeah. was involved. Which was marketed as a serial killer movie. That you might remember the bus stop ads and everything was it, they, a, a vicious killer that has... Yeah, I remember a, that. A real life uh, a horror that, that has taken this many victims, that many victims. So uh, Casey Wolf was an executive at Disney. He was running the horror division. He was a fan of Killers of the Dead and wanted to find something for us to work on together. And we clicked. We just really clicked. And the poor guy was brought in. He was a horror expert. He was brought into Disney to run their horror division, and they almost immediately shuttered <laughs> their horror division. So he started to work on regular Disney projects. And um, that was fine. It was a job, and he did a very good job at it for a while. But he started to get kind of frustrated at the bureaucracy and the development stuff, all the headaches that you have to go through as an executive about you know, hey, I'm a horror guy, I'm a genre guy. I really want to be doing genre stuff. So he got together with some friends and said, wouldn't it be cool if we could cut out the middleman and let the creatives tell the stories that they want to tell with, you know, minimal to no risk and have them be, why don't we do them as audio dramas, the podcasts thing. The audio drama thing hadn't really blown up yet. This is, a, you know, a long time ago. And so they were kind of ahead of the curve, but they also never really kind of took off, unfortunately. Um, I mean, we still haven't. Fingers crossed. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't blow up like Homecoming or, or you know, any, any of these other ones that are out there. And so it was just something that was done to kind of um, give people that they had met and liked an opportunity to tell their stories. And so uh, the sound designer used to work at... Uh, Lucasfilm and Pixar and so our sound design is is amazing the episode that Josh is in I think has some of the best yeah. sound design stuff that that we've done it's so great um, and Although he's fantastic. I, I just like to think of it that, you know, there's guys back there shaking the big metal <laughs> right, machine right, right, for right. thunder. Radio days, yeah, right? exactly. No, it's totally all like completely high tech up, up to, you know, snuff. And we bring in really good actors, really good uh, people that we you know you enjoy working with and that are really talented. And what's interesting is in the beginning when I first came on, I had to beg people to be in them because they were like, well, there's no money and it's a radio show. Like what? what? <laughs> and now... I have people coming to me. Can I be in them? I would love to do one, you know, and like bigger and pe bigger people. And it's almost like, well, I've got my loyal people that I've got to, you know, I've got to stick with them. But gee, you're someone that's been on TV or gee, you're someone that's been in a movie or you're a big deal. I would like to get you in like, there too. Sorry, Brian Cranston. Right. I'd love to squeeze you in. But. So in a way, like Tales from the Dead of Night was almost an excuse to figure out a way to get as many people as possible into one mm -hmm. thing and make everybody happy and keep my loyal cast and crew uh, uh, happy while bringing in some new exciting voices as well. But uh, but I love that. It's my favorite thing. If I could make a living on that alone, I would do yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah. And that's called Ear Earbud? Mm-hmm. I'm going to check Earbud yeah. Theater. Unfortunately, it seems uh, like the things that you'll do for free yes. are yes. never the things that <laughs> necessarily yes. pay you. No, absolutely. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. before we go into all things Toby Hooper here, yes. I mean, what tell us a little bit about this 
script that Marcus Nisbell was going to do. Oh, so Killers of the Dead. So Killers of the Dead was something that I conceived with um, uh, a friend named Paul Prishman, who has since passed away, and Ryan Turek, who is the director hey, hey. of development at Blumhouse. Um, he and I were best friends and roommates. Actually, we were roommates when the white zombie stuff started. Uh, but prior to that, we were just best friends. And, uh, and this is back when he was still Ryan Rotten. Ryan Rotten. Yes. He was writing, right. We were both writing for uh, like Creature Corner, I think, at that point. Um, I only briefly did that. I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> um, well, it was like a weird, you know, when you're writing screenplays and kind of pitching them to people or sending them to people that are then the people that you're doing uh, press day with or you're... like reviewing their movies like I had something optioned by a company that then released a movie and I hated their movie (laughs) and I didn't know like I and I called Ryan and I just said dude I don't think I can do this anymore like this feels like the worst conflict of interest and then I actually covered Texas Chainsaw Massacre the 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 Marcus Nispel Mm mm-hmm and so that was even weirder because I was, he was across the table, you know? Yeah. Um, so it definitely was uh, something that I found very strange. But Killers of the Dead was, so me, Ryan, Paul, uh, it was a script about um, basically a zombie epidemic, a George Romero, total Walking Dead and George Romero zombie outbreak, plague breaks out in Mexico. And these two tough guy, Walter Hill-esque, Um, Border Patrol, U.S. Border Patrol guys get wind of it. One of them is uh, uh, Hispanic and the other one is like Texas good old boy. And one of them has family in Mexico. So they actually hop the fence as the National Guard is coming to erect the wall. Hmm. This is 15 (laughs) years ago I wrote this script. Um, And uh, to keep the zombie plague out. And they go in, and it's just this odyssey of them going into kind of zombie-infested Mexico. Uh, And um, it's something that a lot of different directors have come and gone. A lot of different directors wanted to do. Toby read it and really liked it, but that wasn't the thing that that I had written for him. But, uh, but yeah, Marcus Nispel was initially attached, and then it went through a series of directors, and then it came back to Marcus Nispel just a few years ago, and we still couldn't get it off the ground. And Marcus has basically left the business at, the, at this point. So. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, he's moved to uh, Exuma with his family. He lives in a, on an, a private island in the Bahamas. Wow, good for him, right? <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you he never just know. was tired of it, and he finally just kind of called it quits and, and, and left. I love that movie he made, Pathfinder. Yeah. Carl Urban. Yes. <laughs> I love that movie. It's, I don't a, know, it's it, a good movie. I was like the only one in the theater, and I was like, this is good. <laughs> he know? still considers it compromised. I had a big long conversation with uh. him about that movie, and he still considers it a weird compromised thing. And I will admit, it is very weird that I got to work with Toby, who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and the guy who remade, remade the Texas it. Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. And I worked equally closely with both men, <laughs> so it was a really interesting. I don't. I have a lot of connections to the Texas Chainsaw franchise, but I've never written one. And I have a lot of connections to the Saw <laughs> franchise, but I've never written one. And, and- what was your review when you had to review it? Um, oh, of Texas Chainsaw? The, I, yeah. I actually loved the Texas okay. Chainsaw remake. I thought that was great. That mm-hmm. wasn't the one. I won't name the one right. that I did not <laughs> like at all. Uh, but I, I, they had optioned a script of mine just prior to me being sent to watch it at the uh, critic screening to review it. And yeah. I was just like, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> How do I do this? And that was it. I was just like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. This is not, this is a conflict of interest. You know, so I got out of the 
web writing and uh, kept going with the screenwriting. And that was it. Just never looked back. Well, I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, for anyone who grew up of a certain age or any ages, I guess, <laughs> loving Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm. and Two, Eaten Alive, Life Force, mm-hmm. um, that you ended up having this kind of relationship with Toby. Yes. And I also, we should acknowledge because people have taken us to task for it on social media, which is Steve's pronunciation of Toby Hooper's name. And in his defense, that is how I used to pronounce it when I was a little kid. I know people because I, I never heard anyone say it out loud. Right, I just read it in credits. Right, right. And right, I had right, a friend right. named Toby, and that was not how he spelled his name. No, so. I had one as well growing up, and so I think growing up, I was never a hundred percent sure. And it's one of those things where you read Fangoria or you see the credits and you read it, so you see Tobe, you say T O B E. But you don't realize that there are at least two, if well, there's there's also T O B E Y. So I mean, like you've got T O B Y, T O B E. So it's just one of the many spellings of, yeah. of Toby. But yeah, Toby. Um, I so okay, Killers of the Dead, and then um, I got signed by Endeavor, and Endeavor uh, started sending me around every place, and I started to become hot shit, and I got hired to write a couple of things, none of which got produced, by the way, which if you're listening as a screenwriter. It's amazing the amount of stuff that you will either write or be hired to write that will never see the light of day. Like, mm-hmm. And that's something they don't kind of prepare you for when you come to the, into the business. But uh, Killers of the Dead, and then I wrote this thing called Sacrilege. And Sacrilege uh, was getting a lot of interest. Um, and that got me a couple of jobs on top of Killers of the Dead. And so it was like, okay, well, this guy knows what he's doing. I got signed by um, a management company called Evolution Entertainment. Um, who had close ties to the Saw franchise. They were like closely tied mm-hmm. with Twisted Pictures for some reason. So like my manager was Darren Bousman's manager and he was a lot of other guys that were tied in with that stuff. But someone, so I had the idea to write uh, Sacrilege. Uh, Sacrilege eventually had its title changed to Jackals. Um, but the idea with Sacrilege was uh, 80s culty programmer hired to take a teenage uh, boy out of a satanic cult so it was kind of taking the satanic panic thing uh, and mixing it with the culty programming thing which were both very 80s things so I had to set it in the 80s which made me happy anyway and now this is mid 2000s the 80s were not hot in the yeah. mid 2000s um, so stranger things had not happened yet. <laughs> so um, I wrote the idea that he takes him to a cabin in the woods, they tie him to a chair, the family is there, it's your uh, typical, um, uh, uh, you know, culty programming drama where they're trying to kind of break through to him, he's completely brain, he's evil basically, he's he's not possessed or nothing supernatural, but the satanic cult has turned him into a monster, and so they're trying to kind of break through to him, and while they're there, Going through that, the cult shows up outside and it becomes a siege. They want him back at any cost. And um, when I wrote it, I had Toby in mind. I wanted to basically write the ultimate Toby Hooper movie. And the first draft of that script had a third act that the movie kind of... So Jackals got made into a movie in 2017. And so you will know a lot of people have complained that the ending is very kind of abrupt. And the interesting thing is the abrupt ending was deliberate, but the abrupt ending was also where I finally had to get rid of this enormous, gigantic third act that (laughs) was basically Texas Chainsaw 2's third act. It was set at an abandoned amusement park where the cult had kind of 
taken over and turned it into their compound. And um, it was a lot like the Texas Battleland stuff from the end of Texas Chainsaw 2. And that was my major inspiration for that. So it was a Toby Hooper movie as far as I was concerned. So my manager at Evolution ended up signing Toby. (laughs) And I had just written Sacrilege. I had just written Jackals. And I found out that he had just signed Toby. He may have even just kind of said, hey, if any of you guys, he just said to his clients, if you've got anything that you might want to give to Toby, I, you know, am, I, he's my client now and I want to pass some stuff, pass stuff along to him. So we sent him Sacrilege. He fell in love with it and really wanted to do it. And we had a meeting at Evolution that took, it was two hours of us talking about movies, talking about scripts, talking about Sacrilege. And uh, we really hit it off and we really wanted to work together. I had met him before. I'd actually met him on the set of Toolbox Murders which I did a set visit for, for the web. <laughs> um, and we got along really well there. That was thanks to Adam Girash and Jay Sanderson, who wrote Toolbox Murders and Mortuary, and also in Crocodile, uh-huh. which are the three Toby Hooper movies that they... So, uh, but to- Toolbox is actually not that bad, and it's uh, Angela Bettis and um, Sherry Moon Zombie is in it, and uh, uh, some other great people are in it. And um, it was a really fun experience. They shot it at the Ambassador Hotel, and uh, I got to kind of watch him do what he does. And so he remembered me, but not all that well. So we kind of reconnected. And Toby, I always say, um, is very kind of monogamous with his writers. And you will notice this if you look at his career and you look at who he works with. So you have like Kim Henkel on Texas. You know, they, they met on eggshells, but co-wrote Tex- uh, Texas Chainsaw, co-wrote Eaten Alive. And they both came out to L.A. and they were working on stuff. And then they kind of split off. Then you get to the Dan O'Bannon era mm-hmm. where you've got um, Life Force and they would have done Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. and um, Invaders. Invaders from Mars. And then they split. And then it just keeps going like that. You look at the, you know, uh, 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 R.L. Uh, 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 Matheson, uh, not Richard Matheson, but Matheson's son. Uh, yeah. Richard Christian Matheson. Uh, they worked together on the Masters of Horror stuff and they were working on things together. And so he has this thing where you just kind of become his like, you know, and not in a, not in a, in a suggestive way, but you kind of become his, his boyfriend. Like you kind of, <laughs> you just become like the one person that he's talking to at that particular time. And it lasts a couple of years. And if you are, and then Adam and Jace, they worked on a bunch of things together. Um, and so I was that for like two years between like 2007 and 2009 and sadly nothing really came out of it we worked on we tried to get sacrilege going several times it almost happened like three times and it was amazing to just kind of see it keep getting closer and closer and closer and then falling through and that was so frustrating but in the interim, what happened was he started taking Toby Hooper meetings. He started taking meetings for projects that people wanted to bring him in on. And one of them was this duo, duo of producers that wanted to do a remake of White Zombie. And he said, okay, I am very interested in that. And I have a writer that I'm working with right mm-hmm. now. Uh, that I think would be great for it. Like going to be my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, we ended up uh, uh, working on that uh, together because they basically needed somebody to come in and write it. Um, 
And remake-wise, it was interesting because they like claimed to have the rights, but White Zombie's been public domain, public very domain. famous in public domain for a long time. For I, I feel like my entire lifetime. Well, I was gonna say uh, we'll, we'll get into it before we start talking about the script of mm-hmm. kind of just what White Zombie is. But I was just describing it to someone the other day. They're like, I don't know if I've seen that. I'm like, well, I can guarantee you you've seen shots from it because along with yes. Night of the Living mm-hmm. Dead, it's one of those movies always people on TV. are always watching. Black and white movie, yep. and Halloween related films. Yep, yep. Um, it's in the Halloween remake. It's the movie that William Forsyth is falling asleep watching when young bobblehead Michael. Yeah. <laughs> is he is he bobblehead? He's not he's not bobblehead Michael at that point. I think he's still wearing the clown mask, but he duct tapes into the chair, and, which also makes sense because it's Rob the Zombie. movie Rob Zombie named his band it's the, after. It's the movie that Rob Zombie named his band after. And himself after, I yes. guess you could say. I yes. mean, Did like he a... legally change his name to Rob Zombie? That I don't know. Somebody mm-hmm. told me that. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I believe I'm spreading it. that rumor now. That's, I don't think it's a rumor. I think I'll it buy might it. be true. I think I'll it buy has it. Like, the most famous like shot of Bela Lugosi, right? Yes. That one, the like, extreme close-up of him with the big eyebrows and the little mustache. Yeah, because I yeah. think people would confuse that with other movies, but... Yes. Or just have no idea what it was even. Yeah. Well, so a little context on that. The movie came out in 1932. Mm-hmm. I think he only... It was Dracula, Murders of the Rue Morgue, this. And, and so, that, like, yep. he was still pretty brand new. Yep. Um, Advertised as uh, White Zombie starring Bella Dracula Lugosi. Like, they were really riding on yeah. the popularity. Uh, and it's an independent movie, which yep. is kind of interesting... I mean, for the time, especially. Big time. Um, yeah. And it is not based on, but it was clearly uh, right. inspired by a movie called the, Ma- or the book called The Magic Island by William Seabrook, yes. which was a quote unquote nonfiction book mm-hmm. that probably is largely made up. But it was this book that kind of, oh, you brought it. I have a oh, copy nice. of it right here. We'll have to yeah. get a picture of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it is the book that popularized the concept of the Haitian voodoo zombie. Correct. Um, and so really, this movie's place in history is that it was the first movie to have the concept of a zombie in yep. it. And also the first utterance of the word zombie. zombie. Yeah. Hmm. And they, they bring it up a lot. But it really was, um, we, the U.S. was occupying Haiti at that particular time in history. And we knew very little about Haiti and its culture. And so W.D. Seabrook, who was this adventurer who would go to dangerous, uh, you know, unknown places, and he would write these kind of travel logs slash adventure books that were supposedly just kind of journal type things um, about these dangerous, uh, uh, you know, dark uh, parts of the globe that he would go to. And then he would bring the information, bring pictures and the information back to the U.S. And so he wrote a book about Haiti. And there are, I think there's, it's only, might only be one chapter, but there might actually be two. Um, and I have the books right in front of me. I could just sit and read it, I guess. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think it's two uh, that are specifically about zombies. And it was the first time anybody in America had heard the mythology of the zombie or the word zombie. And what ended up happening was it became a cultural kind of flashpoint. Um, zombies suddenly became very hot and very popular. And actually, they um, there was a stage play that I think was just called Zombie. And that stage play um, was not very successful. But the Halperin brothers, Victor and Edward Halperin, who produced and directed, respectively, uh, Edward and Victor, um, the movie, saw the play 
and basically kind of stole from it a little bit. from it. Yeah. I read a plot summary of it online because I was curious. And, you know, in all fairs, it's not that similar, but of course it's going to be about white people going to Haiti Mm -hmm. and getting involved with zombies. Right. Like, that's kind of a given. Right. Now, the, the, the bigger issue, and we'll get to this later, is that... What they did do was they did actually plagiarize some stuff from Seabrook's Uh-oh. book. And without any credit. And they've never been, they were never brought to task for it. They were never sued for it. Seabrook's, you know, uh, estate never came out of the woodwork or anything. Um, but there, there are whole chunks of those, that the stories that Seabrook got from the locals about the zombie that are basically in White Zombie which was an interesting dilemma for us. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I yeah. assume this is going to come back yes. at the end of <laughs> this will. story. It will. I sense the foreshadowing. Yes. Uh, well, the story for White Zombie, which, uh, and you can talk a little bit about how uh, you almost veered further away from the remake. Mm-hmm. I'd say what I like about your script is actually that it's basically the original movie, but mm-hmm. very much modernized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's a pretty simple story of the original, which was just about uh, a young couple who are about to get married, or were they already married in the original? No, they are going there to be married, and they're yeah. meeting up with their friend mm-hmm. in Haiti, and then um, Bella Lugosi's character, who has one of the all-time most insane character names <laughs> of <laughs> Murder Legendre, um, which basically, when you're just looking at it, just looks like it says murder legendier right um right but uh he is and you mentioned that he's a bocor is that yes. how you say it yeah i don't yeah, know if, yeah. do they use that word in the original or did I, you pluck that in I, your own well research? i mean it's 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 from the mythology yeah it's basically the haitian voodoo sorcerer who will use voodoo for evil and so it's kind of a it's an evil witch doctor yeah yeah and uh Legendre is, he just lives on Haiti and he's basically got this whole system of zombie workers that he's using in his like, you know, sugar mill or whatever they're doing. Exactly. Um, And the groom's friend who they're visiting there is also secretly in love with uh, the woman and he gets Legendre to zombify her so he can possess her. And it's basically right. what the movie is. Yeah. Things yeah, don't yeah, yeah. work out no, great. No, no, no. And I mean, it's it's kind of confusing. Well, I rewatched it last night, and um, I, I'd forgotten that the machinations of why they're there and how Beaumont fell in love with Madeline is very confusing. And it's because Neil, her fiancé, was already living there like he was working there I think he wasn't working for Beaumont that was a change that we made yeah um, but he's this rich guy that's running like a, a plantation or something on Haiti and he meets Madeline I guess like at the dock before they leave New York or they leave wherever it is that they leave and they take this week long boat voyage to get to Haiti and during the voyage, he has fallen completely mad, madly in love with her. She's like, madly in love with her. That's the story in the original. Yeah, but it's all not, that all happens off screen. I did not pick yeah. up on that. that at all. All. No, no, no. So I, I also rewatched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I so rewatched long. it last night, and I had forgotten how weirdly confusing all of that is. Well, we actually kind of specifically clarified. Yeah. We changed a lot of that and specifically <laughs> clarified. It's a weird movie because yeah. it's like both really cool and 
kind of like clunky and bad. Mm-hmm. I, I frankly feel like it would be best to just have on with like the sound off and yeah. put like a I don't know, Nick Cave album on it or Absolutely. something. Because oh, it yeah. looks really cool. Yeah. There's a lot of great visuals in it. Yep. All the stuff in that with Legendre's like factory is oh, really cool. So great. Yeah, the images in that sequence especially are incredible. Yeah, the I castle you... and everything is dope too. Yeah. Right? yeah. The matte painting castle yeah, with the yeah. ocean on the side. That's the, the one thing it has as really great atmosphere. Yeah. Absolutely. And Bela Lugosi's cool uh, right. hand gesture. Yes. I don't, we're all doing it. Yes. No one can see what we're, <laughs> we're doing. Yeah, Google it. You'll see. Um, it was one of the posters. It was was just his eyes yeah. and the hands clasped He's together. He's got great eyebrows. Yes. I feel like they're like... Uh, um, and David Lynch's Dune right. people would have like the crazy yes or the Morgan Freeman Dreamcatcher eyebrows. Oh God! <laughs> um, well, why don't you walk right. us through uh, your script a little bit here? So the script itself, what was interesting, I uh, so we we met, we discussed, we we uh, the White Zombie thing came up a little bit later. The White Zombie, so this is like December through March of 2006 into 2007. And um, at one point we were, RKO was going through this phase where they were, maybe you even, I don't know if you went on any of these, but they were looking to kind of, and RKO does not White Zombie, but they were looking to make remakes, modern day remakes of their library of stuff. They were back in action and they were going to do all of the, um, uh, the what's his name stuff, the... um, I Walk With a Zombie and Cat People. Oh, and Val Luton. Val Luton. All of Val Luton movies. They were going to remake all of them. Did and they remake so, any of them? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they did not. Uh, but they were talking to a lot of people about it. And at one point, they were talking to Toby about um, I Walked With a Zombie. And so he called me up and he was like, dude, watch uh, watch uh, I Walk With a Zombie and, 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 and we'll talk. So I watched it and uh, I just said, what's interesting, I Walk With a Zombie the backstory is almost more interesting. Like what happened before the nurse gets to the island, it's almost like what I walk with the zombie is almost like a sequel. If if White Zombie didn't have a happy ending, yeah. you could almost <laughs> kind of take the the girl from White Zombie and just kind of keep going into I Walk With a Zombie because she's a zombie and I Walk With a Zombie and they hire this nurse to come in and take care of her. And then you find out and, and the mystery unravels who did this to her how did they do it? Why did they do it? So I said, wouldn't it be really interesting to do, if we did get the gig, if we did get an opportunity to pitch I Walk With a Zombie, and we never did, I said, I'd almost rather do like the backstory. I'd almost rather do like not do the, mm-hmm. the, the main thing that they're going to want us to do. So he got this call from these producers. We want to do White Zombie. Hey, hey, dude, uh, uh, watch, uh, watch White Zombie and we'll talk. <laughs> so I watched White Zombie, and sure enough, it's the fucking backstory for my walk yeah. with a zombie basically <laughs> so i was like oh shit oh shit oh shit are we on this and he's like well you're you're gonna have to go in and you're gonna have to meet with them and you know tell them that uh, you're into it and the next thing i know we started talking about a lot of the ideas and so looking at their the original movie one of the things we really wanted to do was take well a toby really wanted to go super duper surreal like he really wanted he was enamored with uh david lynch especially at that point, Inland Empire had come out and he was completely floored by the idea of just picking up a digital camera and making and getting a loyal little team and making stuff. And he was so kind of professionally jealous in a, in a nice yeah. way of Lynch, like, I would just love to do that. And so the thing that you started to see as, as, as Toby's kind of went further along, he wanted to get more surreal. 
And so he would tell me these ideas that he had and these images that he had. And we wanted to make things more explicit, too. That's the other thing is that White Zombie implies a lot of stuff. But you're kind of like, well, what's OK? That's great. Like, I, I am I am putting two and two together in my head, but you're not showing it. So we we're like, well, let's just show it. Let's just show all those things. So what I did was I wrote a treatment, which I brought with me, and I, I sent to you guys today because I finally found the hard copy yesterday in the back of a filing cabinet, which I completely forgot about. But I wrote a 33-page treatment on my... I went totally rogue, and I took all of his key ideas and the plot of the original movie and wrote this kind of Fulci-esque, Romero-esque, Serpent in the Rainbow-esque remake of White Zombie. And the whole kind of second half is just action, action, action. And... I faxed it over to Toby because <laughs> that was how he, he operated, which is why I have a hard copy. Yeah. Um, I faxed it over to him. And by the way, I had a fax machine just by sheer happenstance um, because of a job that, that they were getting rid of equipment one day. They were like, if anybody wants any of this stuff, you can take it home. So I took home a fax machine, luckily, because he didn't like email and he didn't like computers. So I would have to print everything out and fax it to him. So I faxed him this thing. And I get this angry voicemail. Uh, Give me a call, dude. I'm I'm really unhappy and we really need to talk. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, what have I done? So called me up and said, I hate this. I really don't like this. Like, what is this? If this is what we're doing, I don't want to do it. I said, okay, okay, okay. And this was like, this was a huge (laughs) lesson. And it was the beginning of a learning thing with Toby about like, Mm. You know, I just learned a lot of lessons. I was very green. I was very young. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, this is 12, 13 years ago. And uh, there were a lot of lessons about, you know, he wanted to have input. He wanted to talk. He wanted to collaborate. He wanted to make White Zombie. He didn't want to just have me go off and write this thing. But I was used to that. I was used to everybody mm-hmm. saying, here are the things I want in it. Go and do your thing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't used to working with Toby Hoover. Um, so what that led to was a series of basically phone calls and faxes and phone calls and faxes and meetings and more faxes where we would kind of refine the treatment and get it down to where we wanted it. And then, um, we, we kind of finally started writing the script, but we decided to set it in the modern day, which was an easy thing. But one of the things that Toby really wanted to do, and I think you can, I don't know if it reads this way. He was interested in, um, have you guys both seen Eaten Alive? Yes. Yes. He wanted to do a very stage-bound movie for this. He had kind of a Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it's weird because there's a lot of Bram Stoker's Dracula in our script, which I, mm-hmm. it's, you almost have to kind of read between the lines. I think you'd, you would have to see the imagery to really kind of mm-hmm. understand where we were going with the Bram Stoker's Dracula stuff. But it's interesting because Bram Stoker's Dracula, I feel like, has white zombie stuff in it. There's a lot of stuff with floating eyes mm-hmm. and the dissolves mm-hmm. and all that stuff that's in White White Zombie, like you said, the imagery, the visuals in White Zombie are amazing. And I feel like Coppola was doing more Nosferatu and more White Zombie than he was Dracula. Yeah. Um, so Toby really wanted to do, he had this whole idea of doing it on a stage with sets and for both the interiors and the exteriors. And so that was something that um, I was fascinated by, and I thought, well, this is going to be really weird and really cool, but he wanted it to be controlled, but he just wanted it to have that weird, stagey look, because Eaten Alive is so unique in that way. It's strangely beautiful for right. such a, like... Sweaty. Especially yeah. the new Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. very sweaty. Yeah, it's yeah. very... Co- yeah, Robert- no, it almost looks yeah. like, you know, in, like, the 80s when they would have those, like, TV-taped 
stage plays mm-hmm. where they would just set up three cameras and then the people would perform a play. Right. It has that kind of right or Dark Shadows. Yeah, the way that Dark Shadows looks. But yeah, for a movie that for a guy that's coming off of the verite of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where everything is. You know, did this really happen? Mm-hmm. Are we just having these things captured on film as as these horrible atrocities are taking place, or is it you know staged? Um, and so for him to then go from Texas Chainsaw to Eaten Alive, where he's basically got like the same Texas Eaten Alive feels like a Texas Chainsaw two in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's weird to kind of get a sense, and it's very Toby. It's a very Toby Hooper movie. When you look at his body of work, it's like okay, well, Eaten Alive definitely because he got fired off of it, you know, or he quit, depending yeah. on who you talk to. Uh, uh, two or three weeks in, but that stage thing, he was like, oh, I want to go back to doing that. I like that. I think that that would be cool, and it would be a way. He also saw it as a way to keep costs down. So we, they were going to build stuff, or they were going to green screen stuff, or you know, he just had this kind of idea that he wanted to do something that was a little bit more stage bound for it. But it was set in the present day. We one of the biggest changes that we made was we turned Beaumont into a Humbert Humbert style, which is very gross stepdad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was going to be Madeline's stepdad, who owns a shady uh, kind of food uh, uh, business in Haiti, and he's taking I advantage. Like that. Yeah, organic food. Because this right. is the time, like, yeah. like when Whole Foods is exploding and right. stuff. I, I love that concept of it, how you modernized it like right, that. Right, right, right. And then also just the idea that, that what Toby was really into was the idea that you could stick the word, and this is still a problem, this is still something, you could stick the word organic or the word sustainable, you know, or the word natural on a product, and there was no regulation. There's mm-hmm. nothing, there's no kosher rabbi coming in to like, <laughs> well, oh, yes, I see that this, it has met these five criteria that it is organic. I mean, there was something online not too long ago. They had organic bottled water. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can that possibly fucking be? Of course it's organic bottled water. Um, so we, we he was, because uh, Toby was, he wasn't a conspiracy nut. He was almost like, uh, like a conspiracy, like archaeologist or a conspiracy. Like, he loved conspiracies but he loved them in a way where he wanted to find out where they came from. So uh, uh, he was like a conspiracy archivist or something. Like he was just very interested. And so he had this whole thing about organic food. And he was like, well, what makes it organic? And how is it that all of these companies now, and this is 12 years ago, but there's way you know, more now where mm-hmm. they just splash the word on there. And it's like, is it, is it really organic food? <laughs> is, is this what makes it organic? So... He's using that as like a cover for both making the organic food and then he's also synthesizing drugs. He's using basically the genres kind of powders and the genres difference, uh, uh, you know, weird alchemy to make drugs that he's hoping he can kind of put out into the world, almost like the blue meth from Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, which also wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> um, and so he's kind of got that going on the side, but mostly what he's doing is he's using cheap labor in Haiti to make quote unquote, I'm making air quotes, organic food. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he brings his daughter and the fiance, the fiance is working for him so that it, we, we made that clear. It's like, okay, well he's now his like, I can't remember. He's got like some, almost like a, uh, just an office job basically. And he's, he's already like, there. He's already there yeah. and he's been there for a few months. Um, and, um, they're 
the closest friends. His brother, I think. He was his brother in one draft. I can't remember if, he, if he's his it brother. Is his, it is his brother, and you gave him a, a cocaine habit, which yes. comes in handy later, which yes, is awesome. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, the cocaine habit is constantly being uh, fostered by, by Beaumont. Here, try this. Oh, hey, I've got some of this stuff. I don't even know what this is. Hey, this, I just found this in my pocket. Snort this. Um, but basically, the end, uh, and then her, uh, Madeline's best friend from college, I think. And she's going to be her maid of honor, and he's going to be the best man, and they're going to get married. And it's going to be almost like a very small elopement slash uh, destination wedding in Haiti. Now, Haiti being a third world country, it's like we would never go to Haiti for a destination wedding. That being said, Beaumont has created this compound, this glorious, gorgeous compound that's kind of partially under construction, but it's basically still going to be this... It's this amazing... So, like, the difference between... One of the things that we kind of focus on is that he's got big, big walls and guards with AK-47s and stuff. And on the other side of the wall is squalor and third world conditions and people starving. And then you go over the wall and it's greenery and it's gorgeous and everything is, you know, there's gardens and waterfalls and everything is gorgeous and great. And he's, you know, using this labor. So, what... Madeline doesn't know what uh, Neil doesn't really know is that Beaumont married Madeline's mother to get closer to Madeline. Real creeper. Real creeper. And by the way, reading this, I was like, oh, I guess they decided to change what's up with Beaumont. It didn't even occur to me mm-hmm. that her dad was uh, yeah. in love with her yes. in that way. Yes. Yeah. It was kind of a nasty choice, but it was something that I thought was kind of feels appropriate sick for Toby. and twisted and appropriate. Yep. Yep. Yep, totally. So that's what's going on. So they make the deal. So then, and then, as weird and surreal as the rest of it gets, it's basically just the same plot, which is uh, Legendre doesn't have a love potion that's going to work. Legendre doesn't have anything that's going to make Madeline fall in love with her stepfather. So he says, "Well, there is one thing that we can do, which is to turn her into a zombie." So they have their wedding ceremony, which goes horribly wrong. She dies and She'll is see, like, tripping balls yes and then yes dies. it's a yeah. great like rosemary baby-esque hallucination sequence yes. I, which is something there's a lot of hallucination sequences in yes. here which i would have loved to have seen through yes. his lens yep me too and, me um, too no that was one of his that sequence is great the, thank you the the wedding and by the way just even go back how creepy um Beaumont is there's like a full on he goes like full on William Baldwin in Slither where he has like cameras watching her in her yes. bedroom I love that too it just shows like how like <laughs> horrible this guy is. and the cameras get turned around on him at one point yes. Lachandra sneaks into the security room at one point and watches and love it yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's a lot of fun, uh, twisted 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 yeah, stuff twisted. but yeah I liked all the, the, the like I said the eaten alive idea with all of the hallucinations mm-hmm. to me was like this is going to be great it's also the weirdest script i think i've ever had my name on the, the weirdest script i've ever written <laughs> um it's it's very very surreal and i think that that was actually one of the kind of downsides for it when it went out was mm. that it's just a little too, too weird. weird you know well, in the original he turns her into a zombie but She's just chilling and playing piano for him. That's right. it. That's all you kind of see. And right. it's like, why did you, t- like, what's going on here? That was the thing. <laughs> so we just kind of said, like, well, okay, like, what is he doing with her? She's playing piano at one point, and he's just kind of <laughs> sitting, sipping wine while she's playing piano. And it's like, 
Is that all that you're? Is yeah. she just this doll that you dress up? Yeah, she and, probably would have played piano for you anyway. Right. You could have just asked. <laughs> right. So it's it's really kind of frustrating. And so we just said, look, let's just let's just show it. And um, Dead Girl hadn't come out yet, which oh, was interesting. Yeah. And I've had conversations with those guys how much because I love that movie. I thought that movie was amazing. And that movie came out, and I think I had it written down somewhere. I think it was in two thousand. Not it was. September of 2009 and I was just like well and it was weird because we were already kind of like at the end August 2009 is when things kind of went in the shitter for White Zombie and then I saw a dead girl and I was like well that's that (laughs) they've done it like they've done everything everything that we were going to try to say with that now we had all kinds of other big stuff going on well look at this too because in like dead girl she's just like a disgusting right feral zombie I like in this that she's like what makes it creepy is that she's kind of just like a weird robot now yes. who's like very slowly mm-hmm. right. decomposing. Like the uh, Beaumont's poor like Haitian maids that he's making like put her makeup on and like comb her <laughs> right. and flies are just like swarming around right, right, her. Right. Yeah, there, there's great details like that. Like for one second, like he sniffs her hair and doesn't like what he smells. You know, I love <laughs> yeah. that. And her eyes you keep going back to are like yellow. Mm-hmm. So it's there's nothing very... <laughs> It's great. It's a great like you if you you get what you wish for and it's not exactly what right. you planned on like well, the way she described. A really great come up and well again what I like I said yes. earlier what I like is that uh <laughs> rather than being like all right we're going to remake Zo- White Zombie but basically just use the name and then right. keep nothing. This is basically the original movie but uh very updated because yes. in the original uh Beaumont same thing kind of happens where Legendre ends up fucking him over and he becomes a zombie too. Right, right, right. right. But in, in this... really obvious moment where he yes. hands him a, <laughs> a glass of wine with his hand over the rim. He's like, here, yeah. drink this poison. I mean, <laughs> not poison. Right, right, that's how they did it in the original movie. Uh, that's not how we did it. No, in yours is basically that he's like, Legendre comes in and he's kind of like, yo, what... I, what?" He's basically like, what happened to my junk, yo? And he opens this robe... <laughs> Uh, and he's caught like sexually transmitted zombism. Zombies. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, great, great scene. The way he discovers it, by the way, <laughs> it's phenomenal. And I was like, yeah, that was the thing about the script because I was telling him like, man, I, I don't know how a white zombie movie would be. And then I'm reading the script and I, and I got more and more into it as it went on. I was like, oh man, I was like hooked. Thanks, and when man. I got to that part, I was like, oh. <laughs> and then as Josh says, he gets a great comeuppance at the ending from her, and, right. which was like floored me. And I was right. like, oh man. Which is that uh, Madeline rips off his his, his junk. junk. Yes. <laughs> yes. His entire. But his the, entire. The, all the junk. In the scene oh. where he comes to Legendre wearing his bathrobe and says, look at this. And he says, wow, I've never seen this before. And like, what do you mean you've never seen this before? He's like, well, no one's ever had sex with a zombie before. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know this was going to happen. But what it was always writing those two villains, basically, giving <sighs> t- t- changing yeah. Beaumont from this kind of passive kind of foppish guy that he is in the original movie to a really kind of like ballsy, strong, confident, you know, kind of asshole. Mm-hmm. And putting him in these scenes with Legendre was something that Toby and I were like having so much fun writing those scenes. We wanted to get two, you know, awesome people to play those guys. But in that scene, it's one of my favorite moments for me, and I was like, here I am patting myself in the back, but <laughs> when you write something and you're working with Toby Hooper and you hit a moment where Legendre says, you know, he says, okay, 
you've got to have some kind of a cure. You've got to have some kind of a drug someplace. <laughs> he's like, look, I don't, I don't have anything for this. I can't undo this. Uh, but there is one thing that we can do. And it's like, wait, what? Yeah. It's like, well, we could, we could cut Amputate. it off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like that, we cut away right at that. It's like comedy beat, you know, where it was like, okay, we're, we're, and we're out. Well, you did a good job of, because is the best character by far e- in the original. Sure. Yes. Um, but, uh, you expanded upon what made him kind of fun. It's like Bela Lugosi being a Bela Lugosi plays him. Yes. Very, very arch. Yes. But there's that kind of kernel of what makes him fun is the way he's sort of just like amoral. He's clearly a bad person by right. our standards, but he's also not really doing any of this for like malicious reasons. Like he just thinks it's like interesting. Right. Uh, and this is his reaction to all this right. stuff having to bow my where he's kind of just like, I, this is kind of cool. <laughs> right. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen to you. I'm excited to like let this play out. And that's that's, you know, uh, that's inspired by the original movie. Mm. There's that whole scene in the original movie where Beaumont like, can is you describe it's having seizures You're in a unique at, the, position. at the dinner table. I've, I've never done this to somebody who right. knows it's happening. To right, them. right, right. It's Tell too me bad. what it's like. It's too bad you've lost the ability to speak because yeah. I would love to hear your symptoms. You know, it's like, I, mean, I was like, well, that's great. Let's just play with that. Let's just keep going with that. Well, I was going to say, the other thing I like, it's called White Zombie, and then you did, I love the way you did your zombies. It's like, I haven't, it was like mm. voodoo zombie, like mm-hmm. something. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, oh. that, oh, go on. Oh, no, but... no, I was just, I was like really, imp- I, I love that. I, I love fly net wearing zombies because you, I don't, you know, if you have zombies hanging out around, they're right. going to start rotting, and right, I right, love right, the right. idea of like having fly net wearing zombies well, yeah. it's because it's, and... it's a good hybrid because it's like it's funny we're now so far down the george romero rabbit right. hole right. that other than west craven's serpent in a rainbow and just right. like a couple random things here and there you really never see the classic nope. haitian zombie nope. anymore nope. and so this is kind of a fun way to blur them together because it's the same thing where they're not really acting on their own right they're kind of a hive mind in the thrall of Legendre, who basically has like mental superpowers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but unlike the original or I Walk with the Zombie, they're also a little bit more disgusting and capable. Of, right. Like I, I, I highlighted this here. I'll just read it. Uh, clearly setting up like this will be a Toby Hooper <laughs> a movie. <laughs> is this is early in the movie where you use a this classic scene from the original, which is when Neil and Madeline are first arriving. Uh, it's their coach in the original. Now right. it's their limo in this one, yes. and they're accosted. Uh, well, you have it. They're accosted by uh, natives, and then Legendre shows up and saves them, sort of, right. with his zombies. And then when they drive off, his zombies kill all the locals. Yes, and it is described as a blur of hideous images. All is screaming in fear. A man's jaws ripped right off his face. <laughs> Another has his ankles crushed. A screaming woman is grabbed by the hair. It's yanked with such strength that the scalp is torn from the skull. A man screams as dozens of hands crush his skull. Another victim is held down while his spinal cord is torn out and rib cage still attached. <laughs> And I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like page 15. It's, yeah. Really and early. it's so good because it's pretty much, you, I, it's Fulci zombie meets Day of the Dead brutality. Yes. Like, I haven't, like, the Day of the Dead brutality zombie, it's it's back in this. And it's like yep. one scene, they grab on 
to the flesh of his rib cage, using it as leverage to slowly pull off his head. I, I love that. It's like that's that's like excruciating. Well, there's cool images like basically it would have been a literal version of that old pseudoscience scam where doctors pretend to reach in oh, your chest oh, and then pull surgery. out. The psychic yeah. surgery. Yeah. Awesome. But he yeah. like really does it where yes. he sticks his hand just like into Madeline's chest and then pulls yes. it off and there's no right. wound or anything. Yeah, it's like the Temple of Doom, but it's yeah. instead of pulling the heart out, he just reaches in and does the the direct uh, cardial uh, massage, you know, to the heart, but he's he's reaching us, so he's penetrating her chest, so it's more penetration. And how far along in kind of even just hypothetical planning was Toby doing? Like, did he talk at all about Dreamcast for it? Like, yes. especially because Legendre is the real meaty yes. role here. Yes. So we ended up uh, almost getting this made. Um, and I say almost because it was basically me kind of not making a deal because we were very unhappy with the, the the notes and the changes and the stuff that was coming along. And, and my deal was was very bad. And so I just kind of finally said, hey, look, what do you want to do? And he's like, let's not, let's yeah. not do it. Um, but the people that we were talking to, we uh, I can tell you who they were. So they went out actually to... James Woods for Beaumont and Christopher Walken for Legendre. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the other folks that were discussed, and we were very serious about this, and I remember the people that we were talking to could make these things happen. This was not like, I remember being in the room and being like, oh, we're not, you know, in my head, oh, we're not really going to get blank. But then it was like, no, wait, he could get blank. And they were talking about that they would create a company that would come in and partner and they, that their sole reason would be to pay so-and-so's fee. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, we're making this movie for next to nothing. Well, you know, but you, you bring in a company that they're all they're doing is paying so-and-so's paycheck. So in addition to James Woods and Christopher Walken, um, another duo that they were talking about was um, Bruce Greenwood for Beaumont mm-hmm. because Toby had done Nowhere Man. He'd done the pilot for the UPN TV series Nowhere Man, which starred Bruce Greenwood, so he had a good relationship with him. This is circa Star Trek Into Darkness and, um, um, no, I guess maybe Star Trek, Star Trek OG, Star Trek uh, uh, Kelvin, Kelvin verse uh, Star Trek. Uh, uh, So 2009 Star Trek. So we were like, "Eh, he's probably not going to be available, but we can try. Um, Bruce Greenwood and um, either... Willem Dafoe Ooh. as Legendre or Franklin Jella Franklin Jella as Legendre. Less famous, but he would have been. Well, uh, the interesting thing with him great. was that he played Dracula. Yeah. So there was almost like we in the room it got a lot of buzz because we were like, oh wait, that's a cool idea. And there was a producer in the room who was like, I know Frank, I can get Frank on the phone right now if you guys want to make an offer. And we were like, okay, well let's let's wait mm. and see. But <laughs> and then the coup de grace, the 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 le genre that I wanted that was like seriously being talked about that like was a game changer in the room that everybody was kind of talking and Toby was like I think we could I think I could call him and I think I could make this happen Nick Cage oh, wow. <laughs> which would have put a very different spin yeah on the movie but it would have been you know Nick Cage and one of those guys is Beaumont and I think that the the, the I mean, trick as much as I like Bruce Greenwood yeah. James Woods is yeah is Beaumont yes so oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as I, he's probably so done well. this in real life right right, right right and that's the thing is like I can't even fathom working with him now and the weird thing oh, was man. um 
Sacrilege, which again, Toby and I had been trying to get made all the time that White Zombie was going on. We were alternating. We were trying to get uh, Sacrilege done, Jackals done. Um, James Woods had starred in a movie about culty programming in the 1980s called Split Image. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, directed by Ted Kocheff. And he played First uh, Blood. Right? First Blood, yeah, yeah. Same same year as First Blood. And a um, whole bunch of people are in it. Brian Dennehy is in it. Um, uh, Peter Fonda is in it. Karen Allen from Raiders of the Lost Ark huh. is in it. Um, and um, so James Woods played this culty programmer. And I was so struck by his performance that he actually named the culty programmer in Jackals Jimmy. And so what I really wanted was James Woods to be in Jackals as the culty programmer, which eventually the role went to Stephen Dorff for the final movie that and was... By the way, yeah. uh, uh, I feel like I hear a lot of people talking about like from True Detective season three. Yeah. They're like, I've forgotten how great Stephen Dorff is. He's like, so He's good. a pretty cool older actor now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought that when I saw Jackals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I was he's like, great oh, in Jackals. Man, he's Stephen fantastic great. in Jackals. Um, and I was so, so happy with him in that movie. Um, but it was weird at the time when they were really, because they were really talking about James Woods. I think they actually made an offer to James Woods. They sent him the script, and I think they were actually talking when things fell apart. And it was weird because I was like, no, no, no. James Woods needs to be in the other movie. <laughs> the other thing that we're working on, not this. So it was like, dude, like, chill out. Like, you're not you're not getting him for, for sacrilege. You're getting him for this, okay? So just be happy about that. But the idea of that level. And then the other actors were all going to be young it would almost be like Jackals. You would almost have, and then the rest yeah. of the cast would be young people that would come in and, you know, well, be, that you would audition. And so what was like, what was the creative things that were going wrong when you guys pulled the plug on it? So basically we had this disastrous meeting. That So the two producers ended up partnering up with um, five other producers, Always. one of whom was uh, <laughs> the, the late Sid Sheinberg. Mm-hmm. And um, we discussed him on the mummy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, Sid Sheinberg. Uh, uh, and and Sid was interesting. Um, he was kind of. I mean, he's gone now, and I don't want to mm-hmm. speak ill of the dead, but to me, he was quite the bully. He just had this real kind of bullying attitude that was really hard to kind of react to because it was just kind of his way or the highway and, and that was it. Yeah, he was old school. Yeah, he was very old school and it, it felt like he was still kind of, to, in his mind, he was still running Universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though he was running this little company. So we're in this room and we had this eight hour kind of kickoff production meeting and what started to happen was the seven producers and Sid couldn't seem to agree on their own notes and everything was being downsized from Haiti to Louisiana. And they were just telling me, it's going to be in Louisiana, so can you set it in Louisiana? And I was like, well, then what about the private island? Like, there's all these aspects of it, the politics and everything else. Like, Louisiana's got voodoo and we can make that work, but it's a very different mm-hmm. thing. And then we started to lose, like, everything. The private jet became a limo. The cliffside wedding became, you know, uh, in a garden. Um, what other stuff did I write down? There was going to be no no fire in the mansion at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was going to be no spider cliff fight mm-hmm. where the zombies come mm-hmm. from all directions on the cliffside to to attack Neil while he's climbing up. Um, and so, and uh, oh, they didn't want the veiled zombies. They didn't like the the veiled um. zombies. <laughs> um, oh, man. And so Toby and I were sitting next to each other, and we just couldn't believe like it was. 
the version of the movie that we had been working on for two years at that point was like disappearing before our eyes and it was turning into something that was going to be crap. And if there was one thing Toby didn't need at that point in his career, it was another crappy movie. Yeah. Mm. And it was just kind of heartbreaking because we were sitting there. And so my, my deal hadn't been negotiated yet. We were having a really bad time. I wasn't guild. And so there were all these kind of things. They were trying to get away with stuff. And my lawyer was just like, every time I go back to them with a draft of something, they come back with a new thing snuck in someplace else and they won't stop mm. and they won't like bargain. They just keep everything is below minimum. Everything is bad. And my lawyer was like, you're not taking this deal. I don't care what happens. I'm like, but it's Toby Hooper. This is what's going to happen. He's like, I, you can, look, you can ignore my advice if you want to and sign the thing and just hand it off. That is your prerogative, but I'm telling you, don't sign this deal. So on top of that, we had some stuff. There was... I mean, there's the rights thing, so right? the rights thing. So the rights thing was interesting. The rights thing ended up being kind of the cover story for my end. The rights thing was a real thing. And the rights thing was that the Halperin brothers had, in fact, plagiarized some of the script for White Zombie from The Magic Island by W.D. Seabrook. And that was a concern all the way through. At one point, we had changed. It was becoming such a concern before Sid Sheinberg and, and the, the six other producers came on board. Um, they changed the title of the script. The two original producers were like, they called me up one day and said, look, we just, we don't want you to do anything, any work. We don't want you to do any, any, any changes to the script. We just want you to go into the title page and change the title of the movie to The Devil's Breath. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, well, I can see the negative reviews, headlines <laughs> right now with that kind of, you know, The Devil's Breath stinks or The Devil's yeah. mm-hmm. Breath has halitosis or whatever. So, but it, uh, The Devil's Breath is the street name for the zombie drug. It, the Colombian drug cartels use it. It's this thing. We, we did all this research on it. And so, yeah, like, yeah. there is this equivalent of the zombie drug in the modern era where they can huh. blow it in your face and you lose, you become completely hypnotized and you lose all sense of free will. Mm-hmm. And they have these security camera uh, 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 videos of people going into banks and withdrawing all the money from their savings and walking out to the curb and then they cut to the security camera outside and they hand the bag of money to these people in a car mm-hmm. which then speeds off and they're left standing there and they get hospitalized and they wake up and they have no memory of any of it. So they were like, yeah, we want to call it the devil's breath because we're worried about this rights thing and also white zombie doesn't seem to be having the name <laughs> recognition, the name value that we <laughs> thought it would. So this is the mid-2000s, the mid to late 2000s, the late 2000s, I guess, at this point. So... Everything was being remade at that point. Absolutely fucking everything was being remade at that point. So, you know, White Zombie seemed like a no-brainer, but they actually at one point changed the title because they were worried. So, like, take out the stuff that's overtly from the Seabrook book and we'll change the title Devil's Breath. So, okay. Uh, so we did that for five minutes. And then when Sid Scheinberg and his guys came in, it went back to being White Zombie. They were very excited about the title stuff. And they actually optioned the Seabrook book from whoever. I don't know. I'm guessing the estate. <laughs> His great-granddaughter um, or something. So they had the rights, and that was just a security measure. There was nobody, nobody was threatening to sue us. There was no, mm-hmm. like, you know, imminent danger of it. It was one of these things where, like, well, let's just attack it head on and grab it. Um, and so they optioned the rights to the book, even though it's really just details. It's really just some kind of underlying stuff that is in the book. Um, so the rights issue, beca- when it fell apart, because it got announced, mm-hmm. and it was all over the place, and then it died. And so at some points, uh, somebody was just like, hey, what, what, what happened to that? 
you know, and I said, well, rights issues. It was the rights yeah. issues. It turns out that there was this, even though the movie's in the public domain, the <laughs> rights to the book were uh, a question mark. And so we actually had to stop down on making the movie, which anybody would tell you, like, there's ways around that. Like, you would not, <laughs> that would not have been, like, the the beginning and the end. Um, so what you're saying is you lied to the American people. I lied people. to the American <laughs> people. But it was just because everything, the only other story would be, like, well, you know, I had this meeting where Sid Sheinberg said, does the swine zombie need to be a zombie? Jeez. <laughs> uh, yes, it's called White Zombie. It's about <laughs> zombies. Um, and I mean, that was the kind of stuff that was going on in that meeting. They wanted to lose all the stuff with the eyes. The, 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 they wanted to lose the, the, the POV hallucination stuff. They uh, thought it was too weird. They wanted it to be very yeah, straightforward. Because you, like, you had, I don't know if we touched on it, like zombie POV. Yes. Throughout the script too, which was really cool. When they're turning into zombies and when they are zombies, which is something really interesting. Different. Yeah, it was very different. Right. It was explained very well. It would have been such, along with the hallucinations and the set atmosphere. Right. Like, oh man, it, it was very, yeah. to take, yeah, taking that all out. Yeah, you're right. It just starts losing yeah. uh, all the style and the atmosphere. Right, 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 right. And they wanted to shoot it in Louisiana and make it yeah. Louisiana for Louisiana. And it was just, and like our budget was just, it was like a mill, a mill. It was like $1 million. When something you were clearly, sadly, witnessing yeah. firsthand, I, I think, especially now when you're a fan, if you're not in the industry, sometimes even when you're in the industry, there's the sense of you wonder, you look at like, oh, why are these like old, great, horror directors not cranking out right. more horror movies. Yeah. And usually the answer is, remember one thing a lot of, I just read an interview with John Waters where they were talking about like, because he hasn't made a movie since um, Dirty Shame or whatever it was right. called. Right, right, right. Uh, and he was noting that, you know, like people, I was like, did you have fun making movies? And he's like, no, fun is sitting around having a martini with my friends. Right, you know, right, it's right, like, right. I think <laughs> when you get all, older i'm sure especially if you've made great movies it's one thing if you're still yeah. chasing that dragon of like needing to right. accomplish something if you already made texas chainsaw massacre right mm -hmm. then people keep slashing your budgets and you're right. just like i'd rather just sit at right. home i mean that's john carpenter's <laughs> whole thing he's like i just want to smoke weed and play video games exactly, and exactly. watch the basketball now, that being said toby really wanted to work toby really wanted to make movies he seems like he was more active he really than, was he did tv too right he was very tv yeah, yeah. He, he, was, he kind of segued into tv in the late 80s and the early 90s and then he kind of stayed in to TV for a long time. But he had a couple of, you know, it was straight to video stuff. But yeah. um, but there was a point during that meeting where Toby uh, left the room. He went to the to the bathroom and Sid turned to me and he's like, uh, so Jared, now that Toby's out of the room, I, I just I just want you to know that we, we really don't have a whole lot of faith in Toby in directing this movie. And I was like, I, and I, I just kind of, I said, you know, he directed Poltergeist. <laughs> like he directed, yeah. he's, he's, he's in the bathroom, like we're, we're making this. And it was shit like that, where it was just like, I can't fathom, like, this is this is turning into... And now, I didn't have anything produced at that point. This is the heartbreak. Like, this is the best and worst thing yeah. that's ever happened to me career-wise, that you know, in all in one. And so I hadn't made my deal yet. They were still negotiating my deal. It was going very badly. This meeting was absolutely terrible. One of the ancient producers, this really old guy at one point, was like, can you change... Uh, at one point you say that he's molesting Madeline and I said well he is and Matt Beaumont is molesting that's what he's doing <laughs> and he was like can you change it and I said change it to what and he said can you change it to making love <laughs> <laughs> and I was 
this is the wrong room. Like, this is the wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so I, I left that meeting. Toby and I left that meeting and we were like just shell shocked. We couldn't believe what was happening and we couldn't believe that everything that we had done was being like nickeled and dimed down to this awful thing that was not even didn't wasn't going to resemble what we wrote and I was going to be the one doing it like at that point they hadn't made my deal so they couldn't fire me yeah but they probably should have just fired me and, and brought somebody on to do this awful thing that they wanted to do so um, uh, the end result of that was I um, went home and for a few days thought about it his emails started coming and the emails were notes. They were, it was a continuation of the meeting. And the notes, nobody could agree on. Like, and we, Toby and that's I weren't. Why, that's why you said you got five more producers. I'm like, five great, producers. five wildly different we had notes. Two guys that, that we had refined and honed the draft down to what we had. And, and these were the two guys that we, you know, these the champions. And those guys, I mean, like, God bless them because they really did believe in it. And they really did believe in Toby. And they stuck by him. And I, I, I thank them. for. And I feel bad that, you know, this kind of went the way that it went as far as those guys were concerned. But they brought us to these people. And at some point I called, so the, the, the notes are coming in, like I said, and they can't agree. They're fighting, literally. And we're not chiming in. Toby and I are not chiming in. These notes are changing things drastically. And like, so Sid would say something and then someone else would chime in with like a, oh, okay, well, there's an idea. What if we did this? And so this whole thing is just this, this long email chain of just like, and it's out of spiraling, way out of control. And I called Toby and I said, what do you want to do? And he said, I've already signed my deal. I cannot tell you what I want to do. And he went on this five-minute story about how he's wanted to get rid of uh, what he had in his garden and replace it with bamboo. And he was talking about the bamboo and he was talking about, uh, uh, you know, the, the water element and all this stuff. And he went on and on about it. And it was the most bizarre. And I think I was thinking like, he's gone senility oh, senility yeah. has set in something has happened and i'm just going uh-huh uh-huh the garden uh-huh bamboo mm-hmm. okay and he gets to the end and there's this silence and i said toby what are you saying uh, dude what i'm saying is i'd rather work on my garden for the next six months than work yeah. on this movie <laughs> mm-hmm. and so that was it that was it and so i called my agent and said tell them i don't want to sign the deal and i'm out and it led to a lot of ugly good cop bad cop phone calls and emails and all kinds of stuff but it was you know and I mean literally telling me something is better than nothing and the something was like below guild minimum like they were pulling all this shenanigans to because I was this new green kid who yeah. had written the script I wrote the script for free like an idiot mm-hmm. because I wanted to work with Toby mm-hmm. and they weren't willing to pay and it was just you did this, you do, you, when you're young you do these things and you're mm-hmm. in Hollywood it's like oh my god I'm gonna get to work with Toby Hooper it wasn't his fault that I wasn't getting paid it was their fault um, and so just the opportunity to work with him uh, was too great. And like I said, we were trying to get jackals off the ground at the same time. So yeah, it just kind of fell apart, but it was me that kind of pulled the plug on it in a way. Yeah, and but you have no choice at that point. When you no. get in five, when you have five people giving you script notes. Yep, and you can't even keep it straight. Yeah, because they're all contradicting each other. It's yep. like, how do you, you know, it's like at that situation, it's like, wh- who do you follow? What do you do? Yeah. It's like in, it's it's like a no-win situation because yeah. no one's going to be happy. No, no. And so the weird thing about all the Louisiana stuff, all the budget stuff, we were talking to them and it was Scheinberg's new company and they were going to do self-distribution, theatrical distribution. They were like, look, this is going to be a theatrically released movie, which made me, it, Toby and I, even more apprehensive because it was like, well, okay, so <laughs> this is like going to be a cheap piece of crap and you're going to put it out in theaters 
And Toby wanted a theatrical release really bad, but like the more that we heard about what they wanted to do with it, just got worse and worse. So I spent a good two years, year and a half, like devastated, like just completely crushed. And I didn't get to make my Toby Hooper movie. He went off and started working with someone else. The monogamy, the relationship <laughs> New ended. Boyfriend. Jackals, you know, went off to, to be made by other people eventually and did finally get made. Um, and I felt incredibly bad about it. And I definitely questioned whether or not I should have just taken the deal, whether or not I should have just done it, whether I should have just had a Toby Hooper, Jared Rivett movie made 12 years ago. It would have been 10 years ago ne- next month would have been when we started talking about it. And then... Um, Sid Sheinberg's company released a movie called Creature starring Sid Haig oh yes which was shot and set in Louisiana and it's about a alligator man (laughs) and no offense to the poor individuals who busted their asses making that movie writing that movie it's very cheap it's very lowbrow there is a sister handjob brother scene in it uh in the swamp um it wound up being it set the, a record right it set a record it was the laughing stock of hollywood because it actually they put it out in i want to say like 1512 screens like I remember when 1500 it came out. Yeah. is the cut off for when you become a wide release movie. Mm-hmm. So it came out and it was the lowest grossing wide release movie in history for that time. It's that's it's been bested since then. Oh, but wow. it was the the laughing stock of Hollywood and so that weekend is as sad as that was to see, it was I was smiling because it was like that would have been us. That would have been our white zombie movie. Well cuz then they they kept trying to make it and still didn't make white zombie, yes. right? Right, what, right. What was so it that, called white Oh, zombie, zombie Louisiana, Louisiana. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which mm-hmm. I only know, um, I because I saw that same thing too, and I think that the producers kept it. The two dudes that originally brought us on, and they kept Toby on board, and I, they brought in another writer, I guess, and they basically retitled it and tried to write a new, or did write a new script. I actually have no idea anything about that project. All I can tell you, um, I'm guessing that they kept because they had the name, or because they thought that they had something interesting, but. Toby's end of it was that I would run into him. I mean, you guys know how this is. We see each, we the three of us see each other at the same events with the same mm-hmm. one hundred people, <laughs> you know, five times a month. I would see Toby at things all the time after we kind of broke up, and he would always say to me, "Man, we got to get that white zombie going. We got to get, oh, we got to do white zombie." And so they were still trying to get it going, and then um, summer of twenty seventeen. Uh, Jackals was coming out, which would have been a Toby Hooper movie had he gotten to make it, but it did actually get made. Uh, So in August of 2017, there was a company that contacted me and said, hey, we're thinking about getting this Toby Hooper white zombie thing back up and running. Would you be interested in in having a meeting talking about it? I said, yes, absolutely. I would love to get to, you know, make sure Toby's on board. But if Toby's Toby's in, then I'm totally in. Let's talk about it. And then Toby died. Hmm. And so uh, he died the week before Jackals came out. He never got to see it. And uh, he died before we got into any serious discussion about White Zombie. But that same company was actually talking, they're still talking about potentially doing it as a uh, honorary, in memoriam kind of thing, having someone else come in and directing it uh, as is, like the, the script that we wrote 
and working with me to make sure that all the yeah. Toby stuff was kind of done the way that he wanted to do it. So there's still a possibility, but it's sounding less and less mm. likely. Well, I was going to say, point. that's maybe an uplifting note to end this yes. on, is it's a movie that's in the public domain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this yeah. is not tied to any company. Right. They didn't pay you for it. No. Uh, no. Someone can still make this movie right now. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, That's in- right. You listening to this <laughs> podcast, you could make this movie. And I would love that. It's and how can they find you on social media to I am, buy I the script from think you? I'm j- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have like a website. I'm, I am just, I think on Twitter, I think I'm just Jared Rivet one I think that's about that's about it. I'm on you're, Facebook. You're the first. It's that's right. There you go. Jared Rivet the first. Jared Rivet the first. Uh, and you can find both Steve and I on all the socials. Uh, best movies never made. You can specifically find us on Instagram, and you can find us on Twitter under Never Made Film. Uh, big thanks to Jared for Absolutely. visiting us. Yes. Everyone should check out Jackals and Earbud Theater and the upcoming Are You Afraid, Afraid of the, the Dark. Dark. Um, thanks for joining us here at Best Movies Never Made. Uh, if you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you subscribe to us? Give us good ratings and reviews. We love ratings and reviews and subscribers. Uh, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 430 Movie every Friday, in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies. And Inglorious Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Available every Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is Stephen Scarlatta. And I'm Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.